10 days till Christmas. Who's ready? Who's not ready? <laughs> Don't worry, you've still got five whole days to order on Amazon and still get free delivery. Other brands are available. Uh, let's play a quick game of complete the Christmas lyric. So I'll give you the first start of a, a line, and then you sing out the rest of the line, or shout out if that's your preferred style of singing. So, oh, I wish it could be Christmas. Yes. Uh, what about, have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the... Uh, and this one, I want the rest of the line, and I want the rest of the next line. You know what I mean when I do it. Tis the season to be... Yes. Do you know what all those songs have in common? Apart from the fact that we blare them out over our speakers every year, that resonate with our culture so strongly, they all have the expectation that Christmas is going to be a happy time, a joyful time. Every other Christmas song, all the adverts on TV, the hope that Christmas will be a great time. And often Christmas is a highlight. But often, that's not always the case. Sometimes it can almost feel like there's a pressure to be happy. Do you know what wrecks Christmas for me? Other people. <laughs> now, I'm joking, kind of. Well, people are actually the best part of Christmas, aren't they? So one thing I'm really looking forward to this Christmas, uh, we've got a little tradition that Rachel and I um, go and see some close family on Christmas Eve. We sit around the fire. We drink a, a warm glass of mulled fruit juice available from a furniture, a Swedish furniture store near you. Other brands are available. And uh, just put some tunes on, exchange some gifts, and I'm really looking forward to that. But you know what? It wouldn't be the same if people weren't there. Because people are some of the source of the greatest joys at Christmas. But actually, people are also the source of some of the greatest pain. And maybe Christmas for you... There may be wounds under the surface, maybe tension or uncomfortable things from the past that are lurking, flares of anger or just difficult people. You know, the, the people who just are in their own world and just go on and on and on about their own thing. Well, people are the source of our greatest joys and our greatest pains. And actually, that's true all year round. Perhaps we just notice it at Christmas when there's a pressure to be happy. Well, we're going to look at um, a part of a letter, uh, Philippians, which was written um, by Paul to a group of Christians in Philippi. That's northeast Greece, just below Bulgaria. And they're experiencing some of those tensions from people. People causing pain, causing difficulty. And Paul writes to them, because he wants to change their relationships with each other. He wants to increase their joy with each other. So let's dive in and see what he says. Philippians chapter 2, start at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul says that to improve your relationships with one another, think like Jesus. And to think like Jesus, well, we have to know who Jesus is. And so he begins to unpack who Jesus is. He begins to unpack the incarnation. Now, if you go to an Italian restaurant and order a carne pizza, you're expecting meat on it. Or if you have chili con carne, that's chili with meat. Carne is just a Latin word that means meat. So when we talk about the incarnation, we're saying in meat or in flesh because we're talking about the God who came in flesh. And he begins to unpack and say, this is who Jesus is. Verse 6, Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Christianity is unique from all other religions. It's not the story of people finding a God. It's the story of a God coming to find people. It's not us reaching up to try and uncover him. It's him stepping down to meet us. Because Jesus was not just a man who had a revelation about God. Jesus was a revelation of God because Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh. We sing it in Heart the Herald. We sing, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Jesus was God. And because he was God, he could do whatever he wanted. He had the power to do whatever he wanted. This is the God who created the universe with a word. Supernovas with a syllable. Black holes with a breath. This is the God who weaves constellations with a flick of his wrist. The God who holds the earth on the tip of his finger like a contact lens. The God who holds every strand of hair on your head, every pine needle on your Christmas tree, the God who designs snowflakes and determines where they land. This God is powerful, and he can do whatever he wants. And he has the right to do whatever he wants as well. He can rearrange world leaders on the world stage like you rearrange the ornaments on your shelf. It's your shelf. It's his world. He can open doors of opportunity, and he can close them. He has the right to tell us how to live our lives, what we should do with our families, our bodies, our wallets. He has the right to do whatever he wants. But he didn't use that to his own advantage. Now, we tend to use our influence and our position to our own advantage. 
So I'm a, a primary school teacher, and I thought it'd be a fun experiment to give a seven-year-old a gold star and to tell them, you're now in charge, and you can tell everyone else what you'd like to do. Now, I didn't do that because it's unethical to do experiments on children, especially when they don't belong to you. <laughs> but I can tell you what would have happened. Within no time, that child would be bossing all the other children about. They'd be jumping to the front of lines. They'd be claiming mini-rolls out of their friends' lunchboxes. And they'd probably be trying to go home early. Because we tend to try and use our position and our influence for our own advantage. And, uh, I mean, what famous person hasn't pulled a few strings to get a reservation in a hotel, or a table at a restaurant, or an upgrade on a flight? And hey, to be fair, if I was famous, I would do the same. And if you look at presidents, they live in huge mansions. They have the position and the power, and they use it. CEOs claiming big bonuses. There's just an instinct inside us all that we use what we've got for ourselves. But God, although he had the power to do whatever he wants, although he had the right to do whatever he wants, did not use that to his own advantage. Instead, verse 7, he made himself nothing. He poured himself out. Why? Well, it's because that is what God is like. Jesus' favorite term to speak of God was Father. Jesus knew that God was his Father and that he was God's Son. And he prayed, you can read it in John 17, and he prays, Father, you loved me before the world began. What was God doing before the world began? God the Father was loving God the Son. And to be a father, what does that mean? Well, a father gives life. So before the world began, God the Father was giving life to his Son. And God the Son was receiving life from his Father. God the Father was loving his Son. God the Son was receiving love from God the Father. And God the Spirit was sharing the life and the love between them. A light, in its very nature, shines out. That's just what it is. A, a fountain, in its very nature, just flows out. That's just what it is. And God in his very nature, shines out with life and love, flows out with life and love. That is just who he is. And that is the truth we sing about when we sing, O come all ye faithful. And we sing that line which goes, God of God, light of light. We're talking about the son who flows out from his father. And when we sing, very God, begotten, not created. Begotten is, is an old word that means given life by. So we're saying the son has been given life by his father. He did, it wasn't as if God was lonely by himself and then came along with his son. No, no, God has always had a son because God has always been giving life and love. God is a giver and God has always been a giver. That's just what he's like. 
And because that's what he's like, he doesn't use what he has to his own advantage, but he pours himself out and he makes himself nothing. So, for us to improve our relationships with one another, we think like Jesus. And Jesus is a giver. So to improve our relationships with one another, we need to think like a giver. Imagine a society where people didn't look first for their own interests, but looked first for the interests of others. Imagine an office where people weren't ambitious for themselves, but were ambitious for other people. Imagine a front room where people counted others as more significant than themselves. Every conversation, every interaction, every decision, a giving of life and love. That is the world that God is creating. That is the world that Jesus came to bring about. And that is the world that we are invited into. Every time we think as a giver, we move people as a source of pain towards people as a source of joy. Every time we think as a giver, we are joining in with God, the ultimate giver, in transforming this world into that world. So, how do we do it? How do we think like a giver? Well, to be a giver, you've actually got to take two things. And these are two things that Jesus took. So first, Jesus took the initiative. Verse 7 says this. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God the Son became human became one of us. He didn't stop being God. He just started being human. And everything that it means to be human, he experienced. He played peekaboo with Mary. He had chubby little legs. He had to learn to roll over, to lift his head. The God who spoke the universe into existence had to learn to speak He had to learn the names of all the things he had created. He had to grow. The God who makes the plants grow had to eat the food to keep him going. He had growing pains as a teenager, ravenous, raiding the larder in Nazareth. He had to learn to sit still in the synagogue as he heard the ancient stories of what God had done in the past, and as he came to the growing realization that he was that God. He developed friendships, emotions which weighed on his heart. He wept when his friends hurt and when his friend Lazarus died. He got tired when he traveled the roads, teaching people about the kingdom of God. He slept on a boat when his friends freaked out about the storm. Jesus was one of us because the Son of God became a human. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God 
became one of us. Now, if a giver doesn't have a choice in giving a gift, it's not a gift. So when you get your paycheck at the end of the month, you don't go to your employee and say, oh, thank you so much. I, I can't believe your generosity. You, like, you shouldn't have. Like, oh, I'm just blown away. I'm like, well, I worked for it. I deserve it. If a giver doesn't have a choice, it's not a gift. And, I mean, here's something you can try. When you get a, Chris, a gift at Christmas and someone says, oh, oh, you shouldn't have, say, well, actually, I kind of did because the social obligation is that we give Christmas to each other at Christmas. <laughs> That's why I th there is this expectation of giving and receiving at Christmas. That's why I think that when we get gifts outside of Christmas or birthdays, they have an extra layer of significance because someone has taken the initiative in giving. Givers take the initiative. And God took the initiative. Jesus took the initiative in becoming human. You know, Jesus is the only baby who chose to be born. The rest of us came kicking and screaming into this world. Jesus chose to. Now, I was born in the Leicester Royal Infirmary. I have to admit, I probably wouldn't have chosen there. At least it's not Derby, but it could have been Nottingham. Well, Jesus could have chosen anywhere to be born, but he didn't choose a 21st century hospital. He chose a first century stable. He didn't even choose a first century palace. He chose a first century stable. He didn't choose royalty. He chose poverty. He didn't choose luxury. He chose an obscure couple to bring him up. Why? Because that's what God is like. God is a giver. God takes the initiative to go low. He made the first step. He went out of his way, not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. He wanted to make himself nothing. Why? Because he is a giver. He made himself nothing to make us something. He poured himself out to fill us up. Givers take the initiative. So how can we share the love of Jesus with the people around us? How can we take the initiative? Well, it means making the first step. It means praying for opportunities. So when we start our days, praying, Lord, what is it today that you want me to do? Where is it you want me to go? Who is it you want me to speak to? And then it means looking for those opportunities and trusting that he will give them. Going into work saying, okay, Lord, I've asked for an opportunity. Where is it? Who is it you want me to sit with it today? Who is it you want me to talk to? Is there something you want me to say to someone to touch their lives? Taking the initiative means preparing for those opportunities. So there's a good chance that someone tomorrow will say, oh, how was your weekend? Are you ready with an answer? Does your answer include, hey, yeah, I went to church? And if you're anything like me, trying to condense everything that happens to church into one little sentence takes a bit of effort. It doesn't happen in a fly. But why not have a little think about when someone asks me, how was the weekend? What am I going to say that will give them a little nugget of what God has done in me, something God said to me 
the way God touched my life, and be ready to pass that on. Or maybe it means prepare, uh, preparing for opportunities. Maybe it means getting your work done a few minutes early and arriving at a meeting with five minutes to spare, or arriving at the school gate with five minutes to spare to create an opportunity for conversations with people. Give us, take the initiative. It means asking. Not waiting for people to come to us and ask, but asking them. Maybe you've got a colleague who's got an operation. Why not go to them and say, hey, can I sort you a meal rotor? It's not just something that we could do for our church family. Why not share God's love in a really practical way with the people around us who need it? Maybe it's going and asking a parent who's struggling, hey, do your kids want to come to the park with our kids? Or maybe it just means going to someone and say, hey, I can see you're having a tough time. Is there anything I can do? I would love to help. Give us, take the initiative. Maybe it means going out of your way. Jesus literally went out of his way for us. Maybe we can go out of our way by offering a lift, even though it makes our journey longer. Maybe we can take a different route through the office so that we can check in with someone. Maybe we can write a, a little encouraging card and go and post it in someone's letterbox. Givers take the initiative. And when we take the initiative, we are sharing God's life and God's love with a world around us who desperately needs it. So, Give us take the initiative. And second, give us take the cost. Now, what a nightmare deciding how much to spend on Christmas presents. Anyone else in this camp? And you start doing that thing of, okay, well, I spent that much on that relative. So, oh, is that auntie equivalent to that relative? Or, no, no, brother's probably more important, so I can probably spend more. And then you get into, well, they spent that much on me. Like, why does it matter? Oh, and then there's that thing with the price tag. You know, oh no, I forgot to take the price tag off. Like, and then there's different tactics of, you know, how you, how you get rid of them. You know, some people are the kind of subtle, like, oh, could I just have a look at that again, please? And sneakily peel it off. Others are kind of go for the chaotic approach, throw some celebrations at people, and in the carnage, whip it off. <laughs> some, some just go for the blunt, I left the price tag on. Here's a good trick get some price tags printed that cost way more than the actual presents. <laughs> Stick them on. Why, why is it such a big deal how much Christmas presents cost? The reason is because the cost of a gift tells you something about the way that the giver values the one receiving the gift. It's not a gift if the giver doesn't take a cost. Here's another fun game you can try. Give your friends, relatives, expensive gifts this Christmas. And then in January, send them a bill. <laughs> Givers take the cost. And the more cost that a giver takes, the more it shows that they value the one receiving the cost. What cost did Jesus take? Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. First, God went to the manger. And it's not the manger that you see in Christmas cards. You know the one with the perfectly washed hay laid in perfectly straight lines? It was a stinky cattle shed. It was dirty, it was grimy, it was unhygienic, it was not the kind of place that you would really want a baby to go. God literally got his hands dirty in coming to this world. Because God didn't love us from a distance, he loved us from up close. And God got his hands dirty as he met and interacted with the people around him. His reputation was muddied. His energies were drained. His help was rejected. Jesus took the cost of living in this broken world. But he went a step further because he went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he not only was with us in our brokenness, but he took our brokenness away. He not only associated with our shame, but he took our shame from him. He not only comforted us in our pain, he took our pain on himself. Jesus, the giver, took the cost. Why? Because God is a giver. That is what he is like. And we have an opportunity to share that love and that life with those around us by thinking like a giver, by taking the cost. So, how do we do that? Well, thinking like a giver is going to take our energy. It might be after a long day at work, you still go for a coffee with a friend, even though you're exhausted. It might be that even though the kids have been hard work all day long, you still take time out to have a chat with someone who needs it. Giving will cost our energy. Giving will cost our finance. Why not sit down and think through, in my finances, where is there an opportunity to share the love and the life of Jesus? And it might mean giving up some things that you like. If you buy a book for a friend, if you budget for generosity, it'll cost you. But that cost is a gift to someone else. It'll cost you emotion. You know this thing that we do all the time? You go, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Good. And neither of you has found anything about the other person. <coughs> There's something beautiful when you say to someone, oh, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm not great. And there's something inside that just relax and go, you know what? Me neither. But the first person to be vulnerable, that's a scary thing. It'll cost us our emotions to be vulnerable. But if we, if we do that, it might just provide someone else with a safe space to be vulnerable to. But it'll cost us, because that won't always be the case. And some people won't respond to our vulnerability and we'll ignore it or be insensitive. It'll cost us our time. Maybe it means giving up an evening in a week. Maybe it means serving on a serving team and, 
uh, and giving up, coming to an extra service. It will cost us our comfort. You know, there's people in this church who have turned down jobs which would be easier for them because they hear the call of God on their lives. And they know that they are in a place that God wants them to serve. But in giving up that comfort, in taking the cost on themselves, they are giving life and love to the people around them. Givers take the initiative and givers take the cost. What was God's response to everything that Jesus did? Becoming a human, dying on the cross. Verse 9 tells us, Therefore, because of what Jesus had done, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It thrilled God's heart when he saw his son pouring out his life and love. He says, that's my boy. That is what I love. A giver of life and love. And as a result, he gave him the name that is above every other name, Jesus. Because when we hear the name Jesus, we hear about the God who became human. We hear about the God who was born for us and the God who died for us. When we hear the name Jesus, we hear about the manger and the cross. We hear about the God who poured himself out to fill us up. The God who made himself nothing to make us something. Jesus' name is the highest because he is the one who stooped the lowest. Jesus is a giver. And when we think like a giver, taking the initiative and taking a call, we join in with him in transforming this world from the world that it is into the world that we all long for. Let's respond. Uh, the band's going to come up for us. And it may be that God has put something specific on your heart. Something stirring within you. Yes, that life and that love, I have an opportunity to share. And it may be that you don't have something specific yet. But we're going to have a moment to ask God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to act on? How can I think like a giver? How can I take the initiative? How can I take the car?